0: Men's Rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Men's Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK, and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today.
1: Welcome back to the fat pod.
0: Yes. Fiercely altered perspective. I'm Ember. I'm Quinn. And today we're going into part two of our Dean Coral.
2: Yeah.
0: Heck yeah. Um, but before we go into that, we will uh, do all of our little announcements and stuff in here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, our promo that you heard earlier came from the Men's Raya podcast. She is great, she does great storytelling, she's very thorough, and I absolutely love her podcast. So be sure to go and rate, download, subscribe, all, all the fun things that we tell you to do yes go and do that
1: yes go do it
0: (laughs) yes and we also got our just killing time box in we did and our shirts were awesome so west memphis 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 oh memphis west memphis free is what it says on it free not three it was cool (laughs) and we also got a book mind hunter came in so that's fun
2: yeah and some
0: artwork and that bottle opener thing up there Mm-hmm. I'm pointing like anybody else can see where I'm pointing. Yes, at. yes
1: that bottle opener, that one right up that there, that hanging up on there. the wall.
0: Yeah, up and to the left. <laughs>
1: Well, it's up and to the right, but whatever. Who's counting?
0: Uh, it's up and to the left for me. <laughs> See, because this way is up and that's to the right. So oh, that's still... Okay, to the left.
1: I forgot. This is also coming from the gal, that whatever direction she's facing is north.
0: Fuck you, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anyways, so um, if you guys haven't gone and signed up with Just Killing Time, be sure to do that. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there.
1: Yes. Oh, hey, one second. <sighs>
0: Delicious. Okay, sorry. No, you are just <laughs> fine. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social media. All at the Fat Pod Facebook, Instagram, Twitter.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And, and join our Facebook group page, The Fat Lounge. Yeah,
0: and that's where we have our perspective threads. Sometimes we do meme wars. You know, just whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a place to hang out and post whatever, really. But on one of our on our perspective thread for last week we had one of our dear friends listeners our child uh, abby what's up
1: was <laughs>
0: i love it she calls us her uh, internet parents
1: yes and asked me for really really um, <clears throat> dad jokes i guess yeah, <laughs> so puns
0: just, like... all the good things they're <laughs> hilarious though who doesn't like a good pun well, boring yeah. people and
1: if you didn't see the last one that i sent to her on twitter the last one was was, uh, why was the broom running late? Mm. Because it overswept. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i'm such a sucker for stupid shit oh that's great anyways she came in and she had said a really large part of me feels kind of bad for dean coral at least his early days it kind of makes me wonder about the nature versus nurture aspect of the formative years of childhood having a father that's too strict and a mother that's soft as heck paired with your parent with your parents getting divorced not once but twice there's really only so much a kid can go through during those important developmental stages without kind of going bonkers. And she goes on to say how she can empathize with childhood trauma and all of that. Um, She also says, it makes me wonder if the motives for grooming David could be related to having a father that wasn't very affectionate and a mother that wasn't accepting of his sexuality and ended or an ending with a skewed perception of what love and affection looked like. Maybe in starting this relationship with David, he was trying to undo the loneliness and how unloved he felt growing up. I've been doing a bit of reading, and honestly, this whole case is insane. And then there was another person, Renee, who put, I felt worse for Brooks and Henley. They were groomed and brainwashed and sometimes threatened, but many people in that era grew up like Dean with those same circumstances and did not end up murdering 29 boys. And Abby had said, oh no, absolutely, Brooks and Henley are definitely victims. And yeah, a lot of people grew up in similar circumstances, but I guess it's just remember that everyone reacts of things differently and we all grow up grow and develop differently. What's normal for one person might be enough to tip somebody else over the edge mm-hmm. And all of those like I agree with both of them completely right, right. oh yeah <clears throat> and that's the crazy thing about this case that's kind of where we all kind of are after part one and after part two, once you get more of the story or different sides of it, you know those kind of feelings will change so I'm excited to see what our perspective thread will do after this episode. Right, right. Because this one is going to be, it's a, it's a lot of information that's right. going to be coming at us.
1: Yep. And on a totally different note, uh, to those of you that are our Patreon friends, mm-hmm. we might have sent a little something out.
0: They will be there by the time this gets there. Hopefully. 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 We posted on Patreon. Uh, our stickers are out for Patreon members. Mm-hmm. You can get stickers and we don't just send you one. Who does <laughs> (laughs)
1: that (laughs) we're cheap bastards you know we're just gonna get you get one sticker no no no
0: no. (laughs) we'll send you we'll send you a few but if you join our patreon even at a dollar and it doesn't have to be a a uh,
1: reoccurring thank you
0: i wanted to say recruiting
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're recruiting for patreon right now
0: i know (laughs) no But um, it can be a one-time donation type of thing. Right. We have lots of stickers. We'll probably order more at some point of different kinds. You know, keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep the fat fresh.
1: <laughs> wash your hands.
0: And wash your hands always. <laughs> so that should be coming out to you guys as well. Thank you guys so much for all of the patience. Yes. If it's if it's not crazy in podcast life, it's going to be crazy in normal life. So we super appreciate everybody just being chill about it. But right. those should be there. Enjoy them. If there's anything wrong with any of the stickers, let us know. Yep. And yeah. Do we have anything else we need to mention? Hmm. No.
1: It's a beautiful day outside.
0: It is a very beautiful day outside, <laughs> except for it is a windy bitch.
1: Yeah, it happens.
0: It does. It does. All right. So, um, yeah, let's just go ahead and get right into part two. Part two. De- yes.
1: Perfect. Well, if we remember, it was November of 1970 when Dean bought the storage shed or the boat shed or whatever you want to call this shed. Right. And <clears throat> he offered to pay David money to bring him boys, and we know David brings 11 boys before wayne becomes the second accomplice in 1971
0: mm, that's crazy though that's 11 boys in one year
1: that's mm-hmm. a
0: busy bee,
1: he's doing work
0: mm, he's doing something mm-hmm. well
1: not only was dean a sadistic and, a, uh, and sadist but he was also also a trophy killer meaning he kept tokens or mementos from his kill uh for some it's jewelry locks of hair photos but for dean coral it was mostly keys
0: that's such a weird thing to collect
1: uh speaking of that there. There's a place in Estes Park, Colorado, Mm -hmm. that is an old, 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 old hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really cool. But they are known for their keys. Mm -hmm. And they have a room that's part of this hotel. And it's when I say an old, old, old hotel, I mean like 150 plus years old.
0: Oh, right on. Mm -hmm. Log
1: cabin style, community bathrooms. Cool. (laughs) Old. But they are known for their collection of keys. Mm -hmm. So uh, people collect weird things. I mean. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I always remember seeing a can of keys growing up at somebody's house. Right. Oh, yeah. And I would always ask, what are all these keys? I don't know. I don't
1: know. Why
0: do you have them? In case I need them. (laughs) When was the last time you used them? Um, I haven't. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? I always
0: ask too many questions growing up. It happens. It does. Well,
1: another problem is the Houston Police Department was understaffed and figured all these missing boys were just, you know, leaving home, mm-hmm. running away, going and being part of the early 70s. and.
0: They definitely, I mean, Houston is in a small place even back then. Right. And, you know, when you don't have a huge department that's in specific for this field, Because it wasn't a, you know, (sighs) missing kids were missing kids, but they kind of did brush it off, especially if they were, if they were teen boys
1: in the 70s, pretty much anywhere. Right.
0: They ran away.
1: Oh yeah. They also couldn't put their resources, uh, when they were having all kinds of different other murders and stuff around that time.
0: Right. Because they also, they were in charge of anything that wasn't, they were a part of anything that was like a a criminal
1: offense. Basically they didn't do trap violations but they did everything else
0: exactly exactly and the
1: everything else is a lot of things a lot of things
0: (laughs) that's a lot of things to do and when they don't have really any evidence of of anything
2: Mm -hmm.
0: it it does make it hard but there are some cases where you can just tell there was one guy or a couple of guys that worked there that just no
1: fucks really none so two and a half years away from my pension
0: mm -hmm. mm-hmm Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> those type. We all know those type.
0: We all do. So with almost every murder we're going to be covering today, uh, these young men were actually picked up or invited over to, you know, the cooler old dude's house for parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger accomplices, David Brooks and eventually Wayne Henley, would invite over their friends and, you know, offer them booze, weed, Girls, parties, TV, all these kind of things. Here huff
1: some paint.
0: Yeah. Have some paint. Let's huff some paint. We'll hang out. We're at a safe place. Mm-hmm. You know, this adult is providing it. Right. They'll watch over us. We'll be good. Right. No, you won't. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, no, you won't.
0: Right. Because sadly, many who entered the place where Dean Coral actually slept never came back out.
1: hmm. Alive he... anyway. What? Alive anyway.
0: Right. This is true. This is true. After he was able to get a boy onto the torture board that we talked about in part one, the plywood with the either rope or handcuffs at each corner. Mm -hmm. They would be subjected to horrible violence and that's what we're going to be going over today. Once the torture was over and Dean had his fill, he usually strangled his victims or shot them and he would bury them in one of four locations. So later we'll find out that 17 victims would be found in the boat shed. However, Wayne Henley still to this day says that there's 19 in there Mm -hmm. but we'll never know and police would also be led by both the boys to four bodies that were buried in the woods near lake sam rayburn and six are buried in the beach on the boulevard peninsula okay and there was one being uh one on the beach in jefferson county
1: okay well with that one boy that was found on the beach in jefferson county we will get more into that in episode three
0: right but
1: more on that later these murders are horrendous. Mm-hmm. The pain being coral inflicted on these boys are the things that we don't dare to think about because the sadness gets way too real.
0: Yeah, or the pain if you try to put yourself in that situation.
1: Ugh. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Well, we can't say for sure exactly what happened to each of these victims, but uh, some of the details went to their graves, and that's probably... Ooh, sorry for that whistle. I said graves and sounded like an old man with buck teeth. <laughs> <laughs> There's some popsicles down in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: I love popsicles. <laughs> love popsicles. <laughs>
1: But, you know, sadly and luckily, some of these details went to their graves because mm-hmm. what we do know about this, it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. But during the investigation and confessions, we learned just how some of these horrors came to be and, and what they actually were. Mm-hmm. These aren't going to be easy for you guys to hear, but they are very much important. As we cover these cases today and we tell you the names, we want you to remember these things that they endured. Now, with that said, mm-hmm. this gets deep. Mm-hmm. This this gets dirty, this gets gruesome, this gets violent, this gets disgusting. Um, If you think that you might have a problem with this, please do yourself and us a favor and stop now. Right. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just trying to keep from causing emotional stress or strain on you for what we are getting ready to tell you because it truly is disturbing. It Mm -hmm. truly is disgusting. And oddly enough, well... We do care, <laughs> you know? a little bit. You know, and you know. It's, we we want to give you guys the details. We want to give you guys everything that we can about this, but we also want you.
0: We want you to know the details, but we don't want you to dwell on them either.
1: Right. We we don't want to cause emotional pain or stress Some or turmoil. trauma or mm-hmm. anything. You know, we we want to we want to bring you the information. We want to let you know what we've found out, but we don't want to fuck you up in the same process. Right. You know. So and
0: you're gonna be. Here hearing a lot about rape, torture, and murder Mm -hmm. of boys typically between ages of 13 and 17. Right. So, So, yeah.
1: Here's your chance. (laughs) If you don't think you got it, please don't continue.
0: Right. Because not only did these boys suffer, but they were also brought by their friends who knew what was going to happen. And David and Wayne did very little to stop the murders from happening. Some would say Wayne almost enjoyed it. We'll get into that more next week as well
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we also need to think that in the eyes of David or Wayne they didn't have a chance they knew that the police weren't going to do anything and if they didn't help Dean it was going to be them or worse someone that they love right and this case is very complex and frustrating when it comes down to the details of the tortures because you're going to hear things and you're going to think how in the hell did these boys continue to do that knowing what's going on but we'll explain it more as we go.
1: Right. Well, and like we said, we can't say for each and every kid of all the things that happened, but it's safe to assume that a lot of them did, or if they were different, it was pretty much on the same level of fucked up.
0: Yeah. So the things that you're going to hear, it's all of them, all of the torture, when you hear torture is going to be like this or...
1: Right. It's not like he had a playbook on, okay, step one, Right. step two, Right. but he had a, almost a ritual. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not that he did all of them the exact same, but they are... Are very very similar. Right. Okay. Well, once Dean Corll had a victim on the torture board that would hold their hands and their feet out of the way, Coral would s- certainly rape each one of them violently and multiple times. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Mm-hmm. Some of these victims were awake for hours or days before they were murdered and Dean would like to do things like, oh, pluck out pubic hairs one by one, gag them with a the rag and put tape all around their head and face so that no one could hear them if they freaked out too much and And, uh, well, they'd choke a little bit, or a lot of bit, making these victims last even longer. Dean also had an electric motor with wires attached so he could shock them, or chew on their genitals, leaving bite marks and chew marks, which would still be visible after they were found. Mm -hmm. Now, some of these guys weren't found for quite some time. Right, years. But it was still noticeable, so yeah. yeah. Or he'd bring home small glass rods from his job at the lighting company, and run them down... As Ember put it, the eye of your penis. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: run it up your pee hole
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I was trying to do it like professionally Ah. instead of saying it cram it up your dick hole no Mm -hmm. I understand
1: that (laughs) or you could have said running a glass glass rod up their urethra (laughs) (laughs) anyways
0: I don't want to be that technical no I'm kidding (laughs) but
1: he'd run these glass rods up the shaft and then treat their penis as a glow stick and break that glass rod while inside by either smashing it with something heavy or or just snapping it like a glow stick or whatever just so that the glass would shatter
0: yeah whatever method of torture he wanted to try at that point yeah we uh so a large hunting knife was also used as a way to intimidate the victim and he would sometimes cut them when they struggled uh or try to free themselves you know fighting for their life naturally or if they didn't listen to dean correctly so again this kind of ties back into like Snowtown. Mm-hmm. if these victims didn't do what dean wanted, Wanted him to do, which he also would try to cover up his tracks. Right. Then that's when he would also use the knife to cut them. Uh huh. And like some of the demands would be to write their parents' letters saying that they ran away, or sometimes he would even have these kids call saying, Oh, we're going to be spending the night at so and so's house, blah, blah, blah. I'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So the torture was both mental and physical. Towards the end of the torture, Dean would sometimes cut off the genitals, or in one case, we'll cover later he actually bit off the penis of one of his victims Mm. a few victims were found missing their genitalia only to be later found separately in the mass graves
1: dean also liked putting things inside his victim's anus random items to see how much torture he could inflict some victims still had items inside their rectal cavities when they were buried lots of rope was found both in the home and at the graves and a radio that was hooked up to extra power that way dean could drown the the screams of his victims all while letting the neighbors think he was just that guy that loved to blast music and finally once dean had his fill he would either shoot the boys in the head or strangle them with his hands and yeah that like that's not like the movies no no you actually have to put forth maximum effort
0: and you have to do like it for a while
1: mm-hmm. too
0: you can't yeah i shouldn't be telling people how to do it but you know what i no, mean right. like it's not
1: right but it's not it's not hard to do just a paint of research and figure out that how hollywood you put your hands Around somebody's neck, and, and
0: the second seven they go, seconds
1: limp. later they're dead. Yeah, no,
0: they may go limp, but that just means that
1: you choked them out.
0: Yeah, they're not dead.
1: Anybody watch UFC?
0: Right. <laughs> Same thing.
1: <laughs> People get choked out on a regular basis. <laughs> Just saying, it doesn't mean they died,
0: right? But,
1: and those are trained professionals. Anyways, anyways. Uh, sometimes David and Wayne helped out, or yeah, helped out in the torture or the death, and they almost always helped with the cleanup. The bodies would be wrapped in the same plastic that was used to lay down on the floors uh, when painting a house, or you know, doing stuff like that. So it's stuff you can go to Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace, whatever. Mm-hmm. It,
0: the big sheets of. Yeah, Plastic wrap. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And Dean got all of this stuff from work. And after being wrapped up, sometimes they would be covered in lime, or they would just be loaded up in the back of the truck and buried at whichever location Dean decided.
0: Mm -hmm. And by truck, you mean rape van.
1: Oh, yeah. The van. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah. So, you know, not trying to be a sarcastic ass by this, but you know what the true rape van is? Hmm. The snap-on truck.
0: Oh, for real? Or the Mack truck. Yeah, for a dude. Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) That's the rape van. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's full of candy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tool candy. So this van, this white, beautiful van, uh, if you're following on any of our social media, you have seen it. The van had a wooden box on the inside so they could put the bodies in it. So mm-hmm. it was concealed. And then that's how they would transport it. Right. And it also had boards on the side, like peg boards and, you know, all sorts of things to be able to tie up a victim. You know, like if they picked him up in the van mm-hmm. and were taking him to the house. Okay. Much later, towards the end, Dean was actually trying to create a type of quote unquote playroom where he could keep all of his torture devices and his victims in one area, like a nice little thing. Mm-hmm. And it would have been much like the toy box created by David Parker Ray. Same, right. same. And David Parker Ray came after Dean's death. But for those who don't know, David Parker Ray is like one of the worst torture killers in our history.
1: Oh, we'll get there.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely cover him. He has a detailed books on the way he tortured his victims along with most of the evidence found after his arrest was actually locked away and only like a handful of people have been able to see it because it's so gruesome
2: Mm -hmm. and it's
0: so intense that some people needed therapy unfortunately some had committed suicide just by seeing the the weight of the monstrosity that was david parker ray right i've always loved the dean coral case and with each of them we've heard now david parker ray and john wayne gacy two other very famous people that came after Dean Corll. So, I mean, maybe in a way they looked up to Dean. Okay. Yeah. Like, I guess serial killers can have their own role
1: models. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, after the murder of Jeffrey Konis, two weeks before Christmas on December 13th, 1970, Jimmy Glass and Danny Yates, two friends, both age 14, would go missing. Last anyone knew, they'd come from Jimmy's older brother, Willie's place. Willie said Jimmy and Danny went with him to a youth rally at (laughs) Evangelical Temple in Houston Heights. Apparently, Jimmy and Danny got up in the middle of the service and walked out and never came back. What we know now is that David Brooks offered to uh, have his friends come over and hang out at Dean's house. And, well, they never returned. After Dean had the boys in his grasp, he paid David his 200 bucks, and David left the house and never saw Jimmy Glass or Danny Yates again. One can only imagine what happened.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Jimmy Glass, he had that classic look for a teen of 1970. He had a Beatles. leather necklace and a leather jacket with the fringe sleeves. And his buddy Danny Yates had pretty blue eyes with curly brown hair and a little bit of peach fuzz starting mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. So just like adorable kids for that time. Right. In fact, there was a, a woman named Betty Johnson, and she was a girlfriend of Danny at the time when he went missing. And she kept a photo of him in her house for forever. This is like a little token of that time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. After the boys disappeared, both of their parents reported them missing naturally, mm-hmm. but police wouldn't look into their disappearance for too long. Due to Houston being so large like we talked about and the police department didn't have enough police, when they looked into the life of Danny Yates, they saw that one time he was a he was at a house that was known where you could find kids that have ran away. Mm-hmm. So, since there wasn't any signs of foul play, Danny's parents were told eh, he probably just ran away and he'll show up again. We can't put the time into look, look for your kid okay jimmy glass was treated the same way and he had already ran away once after he got in a fight with his dad about the length of his hair so jimmy (laughs) stayed at a friend's house for the weekend and in police size maybe these two decided to leave if it were murder or anything the police should have some sort of evidence to go off of is what they thought
1: copy jimmy and danny's family knew that their children didn't disappear so they did their own investigation every single weekend their families would go all around the neighborhood asking anyone if they are about their kids, putting out flyers, Mm -hmm. talking to people, all that stuff. Danny Yates' father really struggled with the disappearance of his son. Would drive to any location they thought Danny was in, even down to Monterey, Mexico. He felt that he had made his son run away because he was too hard on him, not knowing for sure until years later that he was murdered along with Jimmy Glass. Jimmy's mum, or mum, Jesus.
0: (laughs) Jimmy's mum.
1: Jimmy's (laughs) mum.
0: You're just taking one from some of our friends. It's okay.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Jimmy's mother, Ima, actually deteriorated to the point she ended up in a mental hospital for some time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Willie, the one who last saw them together, would say that the family would be driving down the road, and if his mother saw a teenage boy, she would shout out that it was Jimmy. This would require the trip to stop in order for Ima to see that the boy wasn't Jimmy at all. Then one day, Ima took Willie and Jimmy's little sister, Pamela, into a bedroom and locked the door. She had a gun with her. Holding her daughter hostage, and when Swat showed up, she responded by firing a shot into the floor. She was shouting about how no one could take Pamela like how they had taken Jimmy. Easy to see how murder can change the lives of the victims' families as well.
0: That would be hard. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that's not even knowing that he that their son was dead yet. That's just their son missing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: After the boys were murdered, they would be the first bodies placed in the boat shed, and in about a month, Dean would need more. David would help Dean by giving him brothers. Which just extra sucks. On right. January 30th, 1971, 15-year-old Donald and 14-year-old Jerry Waldrop would be dropped off by their dad to a friend's house. From there, they would all be going to a bowling alley because they were all in a league together. As soon as the kids hopped out of the truck, they waved as their dad left. Right. Pretty typical.
1: Yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. routine.
0: However, Donald and Jerry would find that their friend wasn't home, and with dad already gone, they were going to have to walk back to their house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, this is when Dean and David would see the boys and offer them a ride home home after they all smoked some weed, of course. Right. The boys jumped in the white Econo line van and turned down Magnum Road where Dean was living for a short time. They, too, would end up dead, both strangled and would be buried in the boat shed. But David told police that not only did Dean torture them using many of the methods we had mentioned earlier, but at some point he had the brothers fight each other to the death with false promise that one of them would be let go, making them choose between killing their brother or continue to get tortured by this man. Dean let one hand free and watched as the boys beat each other until neither of them could move.
1: Good God. Mm-hmm. Everett Waldrop knew his boys were missing and spent eight months harassing the police to get help. He would call on suspicious activity, camp out in front of the department and demand to be spoken to. His boys went missing a half mile from where Jimmy Glass and Danny Yates vanished only a few weeks before. One time police would look into a tip, Everett saying that he saw Dean Corle dragging something that looked like a body into Dean Boat Shed. Police walked around the outside of the shed and without a warrant Or anything to get one That's as far as it got Not knowing that there were many bodies inside the shed already They made Everett feel like he was wasting their time Always telling him things like Why are you here? You know they ran away It was these kinds of stories that would allow Dean to kill another 25 teens
0: Right This is when the Waldrop boy's dad was 8 months So Mm -hmm. just constantly And Dean Coral never went too long without killing Obviously if he killed 11 boys in one year
2: Right.
0: So, ugh, just you'd think that if if only they could have been able to do something at that point, so mm. many could have been spared.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, on March 9th, 1971, 15-year-old Randall Harvey was on his bike, headed to his job. He was a part-time gas station attendant at FINA Gas Station. On Randall's way home, he would encounter Dean Coral and David Brooks, and that morning would be the last time his loved ones had or ever saw him. Right. He would fall victim to the same sick mess methods of torture, only ending when Dean shot him in the head and buried him in the boat shed with the help of David. Randall's family always knew that he didn't run away. His mother reported him missing by March 11th, but that's about as far as it got. She did mention that Randall and David Brooks got in a fight over a stereo one time and David threatened to kill Randall. Police figured that Randall left town to avoid David. In 1973, when he was discovered with his striped swimsuit, rope bracelet, and corduroy pants and cowboy boots, sadly, he. He would go unidentified until 2008 when his sister Lenore McNeil and Donna submitted samples of their DNA to Dr Shannon Sharon Derrick at the Harris County Medical Examiner's office
1: they were young when the murder happened and sadly a house fire destroyed most of their pictures they were never sure that Dean had murdered their brother they begged their mother to submit samples and see if one of the unidentified remains was their Randy their mother refused all the way up to her death in 1994. she knew that Randy was dead and she didn't want to know anything more. She would also say that what if they went through all this emotion and it wasn't him? She couldn't do it. She knew he was gone and she had made made peace with that. But 35 years later in 2008 one of the few boys that went unidentified was named as Randy Harvey. His Mm -hmm. items and remains were released to his sisters and they have since been able to find closure with their brother's death.
0: And that's another one of those crazy unidentified for 35 years. Mm -hmm. Mm, Crazy. Crazy. Uh, the death of Randy wouldn't last long. Dean could only host so many parties before he would need another kill. So two months later, on May 29th, 1971, David would help get 16-year-old Gregory Malley Winkle and 13-year-old David Hillgeist. They were neighbors and friends, and they were last seen headed to the pool nearby. Dean and David wouldn't have to talk these boys into coming and hanging out very much though. Right? Because uh, Gregory used to work at the candy company with his mom, so he already knew All about the parties Dean would always have. Right. And David was also known to hang out at the candy shop after school. So, the boys eagerly went with Dean and David.
1: Right. Well, later that night, when the boys should have been back from the pool, Gregory Mally Winkles' mother, Selma, got a phone call from her son saying that they went to Freeport to swim at the beach and they would be home late. When they weren't home the next day, the parents reported them missing. However, police again figured that they'd run away. The police told Selma, Lady, we don't have time to chase every." Every runaway Call back when you have leads. Mm. When you have leads.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, well, this kind of response wasn't acceptable to the Winklers or the Hilligeists. Fuck no. Right. If a
0: cop said that to me, (laughs) ho, ho, I'm going to jail.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dorothy and Fred Hilligeist went to Freeport with pictures of David and Gregory and no one remembered seeing them. The Hilligeists had a vacation planned a few days after school got out and David was so excited for this trip that he'd already packed all his bags and saved up 20 bucks to spend while they were gone
2: Mm -hmm. the
1: last thing on their son's mind was to run away together with selma winkle they made flyers and passed them out the whole neighborhood helped including elmer wayne Henley jr Mm -hmm. who knew gregory winkle and was fairly close to david because their mothers were friends wayne had no idea that his other friend david brooks had taken these boys to the strange older dude dean's house and they were murdered in wayne's mind He was missing his friends and trying to comfort their parents.
0: So Mr. and Mrs. Hilligeist would lose almost everything in search for their son. They always had a healthy supply of flyers and they would hand them out to anyone. And Wayne would be one of those kids who always took a stack when he stopped by to see if there was any word. When they thought he might have been sold into a gay sex ring, which was a rumor that was running around, Mm -hmm. the pair would actually wait outside of gay bars, which was something so foreign to Mrs. Hillgeist right. They had also hired a private investigator and any psychic willing to take a look. Sadly, Wayne would still stop stop by even after he finds out that his friends were murdered by the man he would work under. In fact, they remember after David Hillegeist went missing, Wayne was drinking more. He would come by sometimes and tell them, Mrs. Hillegeist, David could be right under your nose and you wouldn't realize it.
1: <laughs> One thing to take special note of is that Dorothy Hillegeist learned that Gregory Mally Winkle had a friend who drove a Plymouth GTX license plate TMF724 and it had been seen a few times in some of these neighborhoods police by that point were or yeah, they were very burned out on the consistent phone calls so they ignored this piece of information mm-hmm. if they would have looked into it they would have found out that that car belonged to Dean yeah ah! <laughs> ah! I, I hate to say this but being a muscle car guy and stuff like that mm-hmm. That's a cool car.
0: Right? (laughs) That's a cool car. (laughs)
1: That's a cool car.
0: But yeah, I just oh, what? Oh, so mm-hmm. frustrating. Oh, yeah. So, in July of 1971, Dan moves to San Felipe.
1: Either San Felipe or San Felipe. Okay. Street.
0: <laughs> I'm not good with those kind of things. <laughs> but he will only kill one boy here before moving again. The last time anyone would see 17-year-old Ruben Watson Haney would be on August 17th 1971 when he was going to the movies to see The Omega Man. On the way home from the movies, he was picked up by David who asked him if he wanted wanted to come to Dean's new place for a party. Later that night, Reuben would call his mom saying that he was going to spend the night over at David's house. Instead, he would be strangled and buried in the boat shed. Reuben was Dean's eighth victim that David had to bring. Nine total victims if you count Jeffrey's murder from part one.
1: It was also during this time that David and Wayne became closer friends. The two had met in school in 1970 before Wayne dropped out in order to help finances at his house. David would quickly learn about uh, Wayne and his family troubles, information that could be used as leverage later the teens both start hanging out at dean's house and he learns of wayne's life he offers to help wayne with his money troubles Mm -hmm. elmer wayne Hanley was born on may 9th 1956 and was the oldest of four boys his dad was a horribly abusive alcoholic who liked to knock around his wife and kids he loved his mother very much and she was a very religious woman who put her children's education as a top priority wayne was a good kid in school and was always helpful with his three little brothers however in 1970 his parents split and Wayne takes the role of head of the household. Wayne always kept a special eye on his little brothers after kids from the neighborhood went missing and helped his mom out after school. His mother worked hard and tried to push for education and to stay out of trouble but by the time Wayne was 15 not long after the divorce he dropped out of school so he could help provide for the family. Mm
0: -hmm. In order for Dean to be able to house all these parties not only was Dean working at the lighting company, he was also doing breaking and enterings with David. This would be used as a lure to get Wayne into the hands of Dean. Soon they all started stealing together. Never in the Heights, obviously. You're not going to steal where you sleep. Right. And the Heights was kind of, it didn't has, have as much as places like in Houston, mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. After a while, Dean would ask the boys, especially Wayne, would you kill to help your family? And when Wayne and David would both say yes, but mostly Wayne, because David dean was david's family basically dean had viewed wayne as a useful tool and he was naturally more outgoing he was stronger and dean saw a drive that he thought would be beneficial if he could get wayne into his grasp fully so knowing that wayne said that he would kill in order to help his family was just that little thing that he needed Hmm. that little piece of information that dean needed
1: right between september and december in 1971 dean would kill two boys in his apartment. One would be known as quote, swimsuit boy, who still to this day has never been identified. This is the information given on the Doe network. Ages between 15 and 19 years old. Height and weight is uh, 5 foot 2 to 5 foot 7 and it doesn't list a weight. Um, distinguishing characteristics. Long brown hair approximate, approximately 7 inches in length. Examination revealed that the boy had a mild form of spina bifida which may have caused his Lower or caused him lower back pain or possibly affect his stride. However, it may not have produced any noticeable symptoms. Clothing. He was wearing brown leather cowboy boots that were 12 inches in length and had the word Neolite on the heel. Multicolored swim trunks with a belt that had a gold-colored wing er, that had gold-colored wings and the letter C on a silver buckle. A khaki long sleeve shirt that tied in front and had a large peace symbol in the letters USMC and L- L84 MF on the back and dark blue corduroys size 3230. He also wore a knotted leather ankle bracelet. DNA available at uh, University of North Texas and dentals available. Natural teeth with no fillings.
0: Yeah, and there's still no idea. No idea. we'll post pictures too. Yeah.
1: The other boy, excuse me, the other boy has never been found and Brooks could not remember the name of that boy. David did tell the police that he kept or he was kept alive for four days and Dean was sad when he died because he especially liked that one.
0: Mm, that's always nice. Mm-hmm. So by winter of 1971, Dean felt confident that he could get Wayne to do whatever he wanted. Dean became like a father figure to him as well. He even went to dinner over at Wayne's house. Dean knew all about his little brothers and his mom and everybody seemed to really like Dean. At his house one night after returning from their last b and the three are hanging out and dean sits down wayne with a proposition dean will pay wayne 200 dollars for every teen boy he can bring to him that david has been doing it for about a year photograph the kids dean has his fun and then they're shipped off to someone else it was the same story he had told david the year before that was part or that dean was part of a quote white homosexual pedophile sex ring and that if wayne wanted some extra cash dean would offer this to him as an option
1: hmm mm-hmm. throughout this case they casually mentioned the sex sex ring but there's next to no follow-up right <clears throat> however with some digging we did find out a few things an unrelated investigation discovered a stash of pornographic pictures and films of 16 young boys in houston 11 of these boys were identified as corals then known victims mm-hmm. giving rise to the possibility that he was telling uh, telling them the truth when he said that he'd been part of a sl- slavery ring that bought and sold boys. Subsequent investigations resulted in the arrest of five individuals in Santa Clara, California. However, the Houston Police Department declined to investigate any links between them and Coral, arguing that Coral's victims' families had, quote, already suffered enough. Mm-hmm. And police, however, refused to do anything after the 27th boy was found, all of which we'll go over ne- er, next week's episode. According to David Brooks' investigation, Investigation, Dean Coral told him once that his first victims had been buried in California.
0: Right. So
1: is it 29? Is it 40?
0: Yeah, they definitely think that it's a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: just seems weird that you would say that, you know, that we're we're just gonna stop now because victim's family has been through enough, which I get that is but what about everybody else that still never had their answers?
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So
0: one thing to note is that Wayne told police that he wouldn't take Dean up on his offer for about a year, is what he says later. But David said that it wasn't long at all. Uh, from what we can tell is that it was the fall or winter of 1971 when Dean gave Wayne the offer of bringing him boys. It would be February 9th of 1972 when Wayne takes Dean up on his offer. So it really wasn't too long.
1: Right.
2: Uh,
0: Wayne and David lured 19 or 17-year-old Willard Branch Jr. to David's new apartment on Schuler Street to smoke some weed. Wayne would help Dean get Willard into cuffs by doing this handcuff trick. Mm-hmm. Wayne first put on the cuffs and got himself free by using a key. Intrigued by the challenge, Willard eagerly snapped on, slapped on the cuffs. Dean then pounced on Willard and bound his feet and taped his mouth, and the boys left. The next day, Wayne would get paid as $200, but this was the first and last time Wayne would ever get paid. Same with David. After the first time of being paid, they never received the money that they were promised. So hmm. So, yeah.
1: Well, Willard, nicknamed Rusty Branch Jr., was a son of a Houston police officer. Whoops. Uh, oh. his father would search for him constantly, but sadly, he would die of a heart attack and that would be the end of his search. In fact, Willard's remains would not be positively identified until 1985.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: While it is sad that his father died, it is probably for the best. It spared his dad from knowing the horrors of what happened to his son before he was tossed into the shed like the rest willard suffered a lot he had been fully castrated it is to be believed that this was the case where dean chewed off the penis before fatally shooting willard right yeah hmm.
0: yeah because sometimes within torture too dean would either give the boys a blow job or make them give him one but sometimes that would be the case and Apparently, he got angry and bit it off. Yeah. Fucking monster. Mm, yeah. So March 24th, 1972, 18-year-old Frank Aguirre was about to head home from work at Long John Silvers after calling his fiancée... I
1: love Long John Silvers. Right?
0: Mm. After calling his fiancée Rhonda Williams, um, saying that he, was, that he would be home soon. And before he left, he was stopped by his friends, Wayne and David, with offers of weed at Dean's house. In next week's episode, you'll find out that Frank's fiancée... Rhonda was actually at Dean's house the night he was shot. However, we'll save that. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: While at Dean's, Frank reaches out for the cuffs on the table and Dean attacks him. Uh, he handcuffs him behind his back and gags him. And once Fred, or once Frank was on the board, reality set in for Wayne and he actually tried to talk Dean into not taking Frank. Uh, Dean goes on to tell Wayne that he doesn't have a choice. This is what he does and he is now helped in capture and possibly murder. There's no way out for Wayne, same as David. Now Wayne better never beg for another life to be spared, or he will be next. Or who knows? Maybe one of his little brothers.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Frank's life was not spared.
0: No, you're fine. <laughs> Snacks. <laughs>
2: Whoa.
1: I'm trying to quietly eat a bagel for any of you if Ember leaves this in and- <clears throat> I got caught with my mouth full.
0: Mm, I I could (laughs) have kept going for you.
1: (laughs) That's all good. Frank's life was not spared. After his torture was over, he was strangled and buried at the High high Island Beach. When his body was recovered, there wasn't much left due to decomposition. But he had a noose around his neck with a gag in his mouth and tape covering his mouth and nose. Sadly, according, according to a Houston medical examiner, Frank died of... Air hunger, not strangulation. Yeah. Air hunger.
0: Mm-hmm. Meaning he was still alive when they buried him.
1: Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God damn. Okay. Well, he would have been alive for up to a few minutes, depending on how long he could hold his breath.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I said,
1: fuck these aren't easy. That makes me mad. Right. I mean, this whole fucking thing pisses me off. Right, but that also goes
0: to prove that strangulation isn't that easy. Mm-hmm. cocksucker yeah so on april 20th 1972 is when 17 year old mark scott left for vacation and never returned in his past he was arrested for carrying a knife
1: woo woo so, every fucking day
0: Alright. so when mark was reported missing by his family the police brushed his disappearance off as another runaway after a few days the scott's actually received a postcard from their son mm. stating he was in austin's austin for a few days making three dollars an hour and returned when he could pay his lawyer That's that's the last Mary, Walter, and Mark's sco- er, Mark's brother Jeff ever heard from him. Mark's mother would wake up in the night over the little sound thinking that her son was maybe finally home, only to open the door to absolutely nothing. It would be another year before they would figure out that their son was never coming home and he was a victim to the Candyman.
1: Mark's story doesn't end there. Some rumors are that he <clears throat> was a former accomplice of Dean Corll. Both Wayne and David had spent the night over at Mark's house before, and one night, David David, yeah. One night David had shot Mark with a BB gun. This was not what led to or led people to think that Mark used to help Dean, though that story comes from the night he was taken and finally murdered. Mark had fought back and or fought back when the trio was trying to tie him to the board. He was even able to get a hold of the big knife Dean was using, and when he had the knife, he started slashing at Dean, cutting his shirt and slicing his skin just enough to draw blood. Mm-hmm. Tensions were high but as soon as wayne had uh, had to point the gun at mark david said that he just gave up the whole time dean tortured mark he would look to wayne and make signals with his fingers to his head asking to be shot instead dean would teach wayne how to strangle a person to death
0: mm-hmm. huh yeah tragically for the scott family with many mishandlings and lack of forensics, giving the time period 70s well Oh, sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was my computer. <laughs> A different boy was actually labeled as Mark Scott. It would be many years before this mistake was found. And unfortunately, since then, the real Mark Scott's remains have never been found. And we'll cover more on this in part three. Mm-hmm. But uh, May 21st, 1972 is when 16-year-old Johnny DeLome and 17-year-old Billy Jean Balch Jr. would be taken to Dean's. And after the handcuff trick, both would be tied to Dean's bed. One could watch as the other one was being tortured, knowing that they would be next. Back and forth, the torture would go until Dean was done. And finally, he decided to strangle Billy, uh, and he left Billy dead next to his friend Johnny. And Wayne came in and pointed the gun at Johnny and, and yelled to him, "Hey, Johnny!" And as soon as he turned his head towards Wayne, Wayne fired a shot, hitting him. It didn't kill him, but it hit him right in the sinuses. And in a daze. Johnny asked Wayne, like, why did you shoot me? Was a direct quote that he had said.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And one could only imagine the emotions of both Johnny and Wayne and kind of everybody in the room because I doubt Wayne was expecting him to talk back. Right. Johnny actually desperately begged Wayne not to shoot him again. He over and over, he pleaded as Wayne put the gun to his head and fired, finally killing Johnny, Um, something that couldn't have been very easy for him to do. Dean, Wayne, and David loaded up the remains in Dean's van and buried both of them at the High Island Beach.
1: Hmm. When Billy and Johnny went missing after police refused to help the parents, they called none other than Dean Coral and Wayne Henley, asking them both to keep their eye out for their children. Billy used to sell candy door-to-door for the Coral Candy Company, and, uh, well, there's a rapport there.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, the parents knew that the Coral House was a regular hangout uh, or hideout for teens needing an escape. They also reported David to the police in the past by selling or for selling Billy some marijuana. The Bulks were still grieving the loss of their child, excuse me, their other son in 1969, who had died in a car accident. They never once really believed that the letters or believed the letters that came in. Supp- from their son. The first one said that Billy and Johnny found a job in Austin and they would be back later that summer. The next letter letter contained information that Billy's dad knew was a lie. The letter said that the boys found a job working for a trucker. They would be loading and unloading from Houston to Washington for about a month. What Dean and Wayne didn't account for is Billy's father was a long haul trucker and knew of no such job that had ever existed. Mm -hmm. The handwriting was also not their son's normal writing. Johnny's parents also received similar letters, but they knew it wasn't their son because the handwriting and spelling was way better than what Johnny's was. Mm-hmm. Even with all of this, they would never get answers until the next year when Wayne finally confessed to everything.
0: Ugh. So our last story for today is of a boy who actually escaped. So between May 21st, which were the murders of Billy and Johnny, and June 26th is when Dean leaves his apartment on Shuler and he moves to Westcott Texas Powers. David, Wayne, and Dean lured nineteen year old Billy Ridinger to Dean's house. After drinking, watching TV and trying out the handcuffs, Billy was secured to the torture boy to the torture board. <laughs> wow. <laughs> One of those days. He was beaten, raped, and tortured until David somehow talked Dean into letting Billy go. Uh, This was obviously a pretty bold and brave move made by David, which would not be something Dean or Wayne would forget. Mm -hmm. However, for whatever reason, Dean let Billy go. Billy would actually later show up in court with a paper bag over his head with his eyes cut out, and we'll post the pictures of those as well, Mm -hmm. as a way to conceal his identity through the trials. Billy would never speak about why he was let go and others other reports we'll find out later it's Rhonda Williams the fiance to Frank who was murdered spoke about how she cannot speak of the relationship between Billy and Dean before that day due to legal reasons so we don't know really mm-hmm hmm.
1: mm-hmm well Billy's life was spared however like we said it couldn't be forgotten Dean would have been furious to have his authority questioned
0: Oof, I can't uh-huh
1: <laughs> hmm and Wayne was mad at both of them because he begged for frank's life and was met with nothing but threats Mm -hmm. (sighs) and wait for dean to get control again and uh wayne to get some vengeance on another occasion a trap would be set for david yep dean and wayne would have david show up to dean's house to be met with a blow to the head uh, from wayne who was hiding around the door once david was out dean handcuffed him to the board that terrified both david and wayne and proceed to rape David, almost killing him the whole time Wayne had to watch. Mm -hmm. While I'm sure Wayne felt that it was deserved, it was also a reminder that it would happen to him if he ever stepped out of line like David did. Dean didn't kill David, obviously. He was eventually released, and David never tried to overpower Dean's wishes again.
0: Nope, he sure didn't boys about to get off the bus
1: (laughs) both david and wayne knew that they were never or there was never a way out of this mess they would either die on the board same as the other boys or they would have to kill dean they would often talk about killing him but never did at least not until another 14 lives were taken and wayne was finding himself on the yeah and wayne was finding himself on the board as well
0: dun 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 so in closing we'll leave you with a direct quote from wayne's confession next Week, we'll go over the last 14 victims, the forensic nightmare of trying to place 27 bodies to 27 names, and all the other questions that we can hopefully solve or more questions that we're going to come up with. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you next week and we'll go over our perspectives of part two then as well. Now, uh, here's what Wayne had told authorities, all of which was backed up as being true.
1: I tried to tell my mother two or three times about this stuff and she wouldn't believe me. I even wrote a confession one time and uh, hit it, hoping that Dean would kill me because the thing was bothering me so bad. I gave the confession to my mother and I told her if I was gone for a certain length of time to turn it in. I and David talked about killing Dean so that we could get away from this whole thing. And several times I have come within an inch of killing him, but I never got enough nerve to do it because Dean told me that the organization would get me if I ever did anything to him.
0: That's the end of that. Hmm. Well? Yeah.
1: So we want to hear your thoughts. On that at the Fab Lounge.
0: Yes, we do because if you paid attention to certain certain little things, uh, especially. Just remember out of this episode, remember the times that we've heard about David threatening to kill another kid, Mm -hmm. David shooting a kid with a BB gun, right? all the little, those little pieces, because those will be important for next week's. Right. But until then, enjoy and hope your week is lovely and see you next Friday for another episode of FAP.
1: Sounds like a plan. Bye. Bye.